and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today. Today, we chat with Steve Campbell. Steve is the co-founder and CEO of The Ascent, uh, which he's going to get into and talk about his business and what him and his girlfriend are up to. Uh, before that, he was actually the 10th employee at VaynerMedia. And if you don't know about VaynerMedia, started by Gary Vaynerchuk and his brother AJ. And uh, Steve will certainly share his journey at Vayner, uh, what it took to get to Vayner, and why he decided to leave. Um, but Steve serves as a personal brand consultant and a community builder with The Ascent, and he will get into what he does and how he leverages social media and how he helps people develop their personal brands. So we got connected because someone thought that uh, Steve could help me out as I'm obviously building out uh, my business and, and my brand, and Steve has been a wealth of knowledge for me, and I know uh, in listening to him in this conversation, you will get some great nuggets about his journey, about his mindset, and about social media and the internet and how you can leverage the internet to help you be what he calls your own CEO. So I know you'll love this conversation, and when you do, we would love for you to share it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I know Steve would be proud of you for sharing it in those places as well. And also, punch on over to iTunes, and if you could just write us a review about this episode or the podcast in general, it really helps us as we continue to build this community. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate everyone that is sending me notes, emails, texts, whatever it is, and telling me that you're listening. It really means the world to me. And without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Steve Campbell. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What I wanted to do is, is really start with you. I know you've just had a massive transition uh, in your life and in your career. Uh, so I would love for you to share that transition. I think a lot of people are constantly transitioning in their life and uh, you have something very tangible and uh, probably have some experiences to share. So I wanted to start right there. So give people some insight into what you were doing and, and what you decided to do to change uh, career paths. Yeah, um, it's funny. Uh, changing career paths wasn't something that I had in mind, but uh, life just kind of happened the way it did. And 
just to give your listeners um, a little background on me. So I started working at a digital agency in New York City named VaynerMedia um, six and a half years ago in 2010. And I can't believe it was that long ago, but it was just a small startup company of like 10 employees at the time. And it was run by Gary Vaynerchuk, who everyone knows, and his brother, AJ. And um, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. I moved to New York to take an internship there and they ended up hiring me full time. I stayed on for six and a half years, and then I left. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you. Uh, so your internship, what leads to you deciding to take an internship with them? Um, you know, walk me through that decision and, and why you decided to do that. Yeah, no. Um, so I'll back you up even further. I graduated from Penn State University in 2008, and that just happened to be the worst job market to ever graduate into because of the big recession started firing up and. Um, so I sort of left school in a, with a technology background. I was in information sciences and tech, and I was looking to be a consultant at like a company like Deloitte or Accenture or something like that. And so I spent the next two years almost um, just applying and trying to find anything that I could in my space. And I, I wasn't really jazzed up about it. I would travel to places like Virginia and DC, and I would spend the night there, and then I would go interview, and then next thing I would know, I would never you know, next thing you know, I would never hear back from these companies. I would, uh, be, I would be interviewed alongside 10 other people at least that had way more experience than I did. And I was looking for like an entry level position. And, and so it was very discouraging and, you know, it just happened to be at the, you know, looking back on it now is kind of a godsend because, uh, at, it happened to have, it happened to take place at the same time that social media was sort of on the rise in the early days. And I, got a, I got wind of that and I started, um, on online, I started on sites like Twitter and I, uh, got really into it and I started following different people, reading different books and that sort of thing. And I came across Gary Vaynerchuk and he, you don't have to spend very much time in that world before you come across him, first of all. And, uh, I was really gravitating to everything that he was putting out there. And, I decided to pay closer attention to what he was doing and I watched a lot of his keynotes and I noticed that he spoke a lot about his company VaynerMedia that he was starting with his brother AJ. And I took a step back and I said, maybe I shouldn't go work at a big company, a big corporate you know, entity like that and maybe I should start looking at startup companies or smaller companies. And so I, I reached out, I sent an email in typical Gary V fashion, I, I emailed him and whoever I could find at the company and I just said, hey, how can I help? I'm interested in what you guys are doing, your message, all the stuff that you're putting out there. I just want to help. I don't care if it pays. I just look, I'm just looking for experience to build my resume. So you and were so, two years, are you, you, I think, let me just make sure I have the story correct. You're two years out of school at this point. Um, so, mm -hmm. so you have two years of sort of failing when it comes to the job interview process and, and trying to get in with these uh, contracting, consulting firms. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C., so I'm very familiar with yep. government contracting and, and the job opportunities and uh, the entry-level opportunities. And I lived in Arlington, Virginia for a little bit, so I, I was surrounded by people from Penn State and, and right. from other places doing it. But would you describe those two years as, as failure? How would you look at those first two years out of school? Where were you at mentally? Like, like how did you process all that information? You just went to a good school and – you know, mm -hmm. graduated. And I think most people that graduate are ready to take over the world. And, and now you're getting yeah. sort of pushed back and, and the environment is certainly a tough environment to be in. Yeah. I don't look at it as, I don't look at it as failure so much as soul searching and finding myself. Um, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, 18 is too young to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. And, you know, going into college, 
I was into my major. I started out in engineering in school, actually, and then a year into it, I switched to IST. And the IST building um, that I graduated from was only built in 2003, and I started college in 2004. And so, you know, a lot of this tech stuff that I was really into, it turned out, was very new. And, you know, I social media, for instance, was invented when I was in school. Facebook was invented in 2004, and. Um, why change? Least, why why go from engineer to science and technology? Mm-hmm. Well, I knew that I had an interest in technology. My background, I always was the the kid back home that people would come to to fix their computers, and I always had a way of following that kind of stuff, and it was just really interesting to me. So I kind of came out of high school just knowing that I don't know what I want to do for a career, but I know that I want to work in technology. And so I went into um, computer science and. I, it turns out I wasn't very good at programming, and I thought that I could learn that in college, but the the basic classes that I was starting out in were way too advanced for my level of training, and so it just wasn't very fun. And, you know, the physics and the calculus and all the other stuff that went along with it, I left high school, you know, thinking that math was my favorite subject, and I went into one year of college, you know, learning that that wasn't the case. So, and that, so was a, that was a pretty quick shift for, me, for you and sort of an eye-opening experience, and maybe I'm not a, maybe I'm not passionate about this, and B, you know, maybe I'm not that good at it. Is that is that the other reality? Is like, you know, maybe there are kids in your class that are finding it easier than you, but there's this reality that like maybe this isn't my unfair advantage in this world. Yeah, and I've always kind of been entrepreneurial in spirit. I feel like back home, you know, when I was younger, I was the first kid in my high school that had a CD burner, and I turned that into a little business where people would drop notes in my locker, and then, you know, I would burn them CDs and mixtapes and things and then, you know, charge them three bucks a piece for them and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and I was like the first person in my town to use eBay a lot. And I did a lot of, a lot of eBay selling for other people on consignment and the fixed computers, like I said. And, and so I kind of just knew all this about myself and I, I was going through college, enjoying the social aspect of being at Penn state. Um, the classes, I started to find classes that were more interesting in, in my wheelhouse, the sciences and, you know, you know, the consulting and the, the tech industry type of stuff. But I, I graduated and I still didn't feel like I was on track to doing what I really wanted to spend every day doing for the rest of my life. And so, you know, I was out of school for two years, like I said, but maybe a year into it is when I started having the idea of, well, maybe I'll start my own company. And I, I started a blog that I called the social branding blog. And I started um, building my personal brand without even realizing it. I started growing my follower account on Twitter. I started working and networking on with people on LinkedIn. I kind of looked at my resume as something that, okay, if I can't get hired by anybody right now and get experience that I need on here to get where I really want to be, then how can I manufacture experience and get it that way? And so and this is like 2009 when you really started mm-hmm. doing this. So relatively early, if you think about the Twitter sphere uh, and, and LinkedIn, yeah. Um, so you're, you're in there and you're just, you're just doing things and just staying active. Um, are you living at home at the time? Where are you living? Yeah, I was living at home in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And so I was pretty much, I moved into my mom's basement basically and just like operated out of there. And I had like several little businesses running out of there. That's where, you know, on, in the laundry room, I had like broken computers that I was fixing, just laid out in parts everywhere. I had like eBay stuff on the pool table, and like I had my desk with my computer and everything where I was writing and doing things on a daily basis. Where does the entrepreneurial spirit come from for you? It sounds like that's even even when you were out of work, you were still finding ways to generate 
revenue or, or trying to generate revenue. And it sounds mm-hmm. like high school, that was a big part of your experience as well. Any idea where that comes from? I feel like you're born with it in a way. Like it wasn't something that I was really aware of until I look back at it later in life. And, um, but when I was in it, I was very entrepreneurial. And back then though, it was really just one good idea after another and something I would get excited about. And it, I found myself starting up a lot of little things without the intention of them really being business. It was more so, I'm good at this, people are willing to pay me for it, um, let me just do this on the side a little bit and then I'll have some spare money to go out with my friends and that kind of thing. Sure. And you know, looking back at it now and how I'm you know, an entrepreneur once again, which I'll get to, um, it's funny because I look back at my old self and I'm like, wow, I could have really blown that up back then or that could have been a big business if I really wanted to and that kind of thing. But it's interesting the types of experience that you get like at different levels of your life. And I feel like with the entrepreneur side of me, that was something that I just inherently had in me. Like my parents, um, you know, went the traditional route with their careers. They weren't entrepreneurs or anything like that. And so what did, I, what did I they do? So my mom was a teacher. Okay. She was actually a teacher in high school. And my dad was more uh, a carpenter, like he worked working with his hands, doing welding and building roofs and that kind of stuff. And then and so, you, you had mentioned you had a brother. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, siblings, are they entrepreneurial or is, is it different with them as well? Well, I have one brother, his name's Mike, and he is five years younger than me, and he went to Pitt University and uh, graduated with a degree in user-centered design, I believe. And so he, he wasn't entrepreneurial. Um, he pretty much makes his living now as a designer. And you know, he's, he's much more structured in that kind of thing than I am. I think that five-year gap is a big enough difference that we are just two different people when it comes to that. Uh, like he has no interest in owning his own business, and that's the kind of thing that I love. But it sounds like at a young age, at least in high school at least, you would realize like, oh, I've got certain skills or certain passions that allow me to have these skills. And I like the feeling of being valued and, and being valuable. And whether it's, you know, burning a mixtape for someone or, or trying to create small businesses or fixing computers, like having a skill and then getting recognized for that skill was something that you you felt good about from an early age. Yeah, absolutely. And had I been able to put those types of things on my resume, I would have like that I sold CDs in school and I sold like video games and other stuff that I was doing at the time. And it's the thing is, is I found it just to be fun. And I think that my mentality going, going into the things that I really enjoyed and that I found fun really helped lend itself to the stuff that I could put on my resume from a professional standpoint. For instance, in 2009, I started writing for a blog um, to make some money as well. The blog was called Make Use Of. And it was a blog that, it was one of the ones that I happened to frequent uh, back then. And I, I found a lot of interesting tech tidbits on there and hacks and those kinds of things. And I just found it really useful. And I saw that they were hiring staff writers and I reached out. And so I started writing three articles a week for them for, you know, however, uh, two years basically I was writing for them. It overlapped with my time at Vayner when I was an intern. And all right, so time out. Time did, out. Time out for me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, now you've given okay. now you've given two examples of reaching out to people just to try to connect with them, just to explore. Uh, and it sounds like both of those options. I'm sure you reached out to a ton of other people during those times, but let's just focus on those two. You know, you reach mm-hmm. out to Gary and you figure out, all right, what does Gary appreciate? He appreciates people that are willing to work and and not really focus on the short term uh, as much as they want to play a long play and learn a lot. Um, and mm-hmm. you hit, hit that 
probably a pain point for him. And then this, this is like, hey, let me, why don't I just write and, and see if I can produce some content and, and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You're, but I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes at that time where you, you do probably have friends who are working for the McKinsey's or the Deloitte's or, you know, mm-hmm. you do have friends who probably got jobs. I know it's 2008, uh, 2009, 2010, but you probably had friends who did have jobs and did have nine to fives and did have salaries or whatever it is you want to say. What caused you to be motivated and be fearless enough to still try to carve out your path? I think it was my level of patience. I think that I'm just inherently a very patient person and I always have been and it's something I recognize at an early age and I came out of school thinking that this was kind of a blessing in disguise in a way after I, after the frustration and all that stuff but I, I looked at it as I can take my time because I'm living at home, I'm, I don't have any major expenses right now other than my student loans that I have to start paying back and you know, I was looking at it like if I'm going to enter into a career or a field where I could potentially spend the rest of my life for 40 or 50 years of it at least, I wanted to make sure I was making the right decision. And even though I was looking, I kind of got desperate at a point and I was looking for anything, um, I started getting really smart about it. I, I realized that I was really happy in certain areas and unhappy in others. And I started to gravitate and start to really just get my mind around what does this look like for me if I continue down this path? And did so, somebody did somebody give you advice to go down that road, or did people give you advice to get out of your mom's basement and, and get a job? Like, what? Who were the people you leaned on uh, in those in those times? I mean, really, just family and friends. I don't think anyone really said to me, "Hey, like, I have a job opportunity for you, or you should go do this," or like motivated me to go do anything. It was really just me. Um, recognizing an opportunity when I came across it. And I think once I went down the social media route and I, I got an email back from um, Gary's team at the time, I was so excited that I, I took that opportunity to my mom and I said, I don't know where to begin to explain this to you, but I'm really excited about this opportunity. Uh, the, imp- the internship they offered me was unpaid and it was in New York and it would cause uh, require me to relocate there, obviously. And so it was going to be kind of a major expense. And... I took that to my mom and she was without hesitating. She was like, okay, let's do it. And you know, I had to borrow money from her and I found an apartment, a two month sublet up in Harlem. And I just moved into New York for two months and I worked for free. I just, I just got chills hearing you tell that story because I think when I think of great parenting, it it starts with support. It starts with Mm -hmm. just, you know, unconditional love and support and, and then, you know, telling their kids like, yeah, like, you know, go for it, take action. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, I think so many times it doesn't happen that way. And, and there are always going to be people to tell you why you shouldn't do something. Um, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, what a blessing it was for you to have a mom who, who supported that idea, which other people might say, yeah, that's, that you're going to move the most expensive city in the, in the country and yep. you're not getting paid and you have this college debt. I mean, so the optics of that are that it's it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool that you had that happen for you. No, it's great. Um, I mean, I love my mom more than anybody, and she. It, it's great because being in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, it's the kind of small town outside of Pittsburgh that uh, it's very easy to get get trapped there in a way. Like, there's a lot of people who grow up with aspirations, and when you're growing up there, the number one thought in your mind is when you're going to leave. 
and there's it's ironic because a lot of people end up staying there their whole lives and they raise their families there and I get it I mean their whole family's there and that kind of thing like my whole family's there um but I think have her having her there and having her on my side about that not even realizing like what social media was but realizing that I was so excited about this and that um you know I looked at it as at the very least something an opportunity to get something on my resume that she kind of said to me listen I see how excited you are about this. We'll find the money. We'll make it work. Um, you know, she, she said, you're welcome to stay here as long as you can. I don't want you to think that there's, that I'm trying to force you out or anything like that. But, um, I just know that if you don't pursue the things that you're passionate about, then there's a chance you could be stuck here forever. And I've seen enough of that from the kids that I taught in school and your, your friends and people like that. And you what, know, were so the, if, what were the three values that she passed down to you, your dad passed down to you, as you think about your, your environment and what you grew up around? Uh, what were the mm-hmm. things that, that they instilled in you from a value standpoint? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good question. I think the three things would be um, doing the right thing, I think, is major. I think my dad and my mom especially, whenever – you know, you come across a certain situation or whenever I would come back from school with a story or, or something that happened, um, you know, their advice would always revolve around, well, did you do the right thing? Like, don't lie about it. Like, you know, if you find a wallet, like my grandpa was even the kind of person that he would go, you know, looking for the owner versus like pocketing the money and that kind of thing. Like, uh, I, I think, I think the whole honesty and the fact that I grew up in a small town, I feel like lent itself to that a lot. I had a lot of second and third, uh, parents, so to speak, just living at my friends' houses and that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely, you know, putting others before yourself, I guess, would be one. I think uh, valuing family time and togetherness is two. I think that, you know, we often would eat dinners together in the in the dining room. You know, we would turn the TV off. We kind of spent that time together. And the funny thing about that is my parents actually got divorced when I was eight years old. And so they still were able to have a friendly relationship afterwards to where my dad could come down and visit and we would eat meals together and that kind of thing. And wow. so I think that was really crucial. In so your dad, sort of, even though they were divorced, would still come to the house, that come to your mom's house, and you guys would still have dinner as a whole family? Not every night or anything like that. But uh, He would definitely – yeah, he would come down on weekends mostly and um, you know, definitely around for holidays. And – it's still like that to this day, you know, I'm, I'm turning 32 next month and I'm going home for Thanksgiving and, you know, I expect to see him, you know, he's going to come down and my aunts and uncles are going to be in town and that sort of thing. And so we definitely have a very tight knit family and it's a very small family. And so I think that that togetherness was definitely something that was driven home early on. Give me, um, give me one more. One more. Hmm. Maybe give me specific I, I, to, specific to mom because it just sounds like you've mm-hmm. mentioned her a lot. Uh, it sounds like she was the one that you went to when you had this mm-hmm. big decision um, and sort of seeked her advice. You know, what is it about her that you aspire to align with when it comes to your values? Mm-hmm. I think she did a great job of just giving me freedom. Um, you know, my mom spoiled the heck out of me. And when I was a kid – it, it wasn't like she was just giving me everything and, you know, she was supporting both of us kids on a, a teacher's salary uh, a lot of the time. And so she, um, you know, she wasn't like rolling in the dough or anything like that, but she definitely made home feel like home and she, she gave us like what we needed. And 
uh, I think just having that freedom to make our own choices, make our own mistakes in life and that kind of thing is really what set me up because, you know, that allowed me to pursue all the different things that I was passionate about without having a lecture, having to get permission about, you know, you know, I'm going to buy this thing for a computer. I raised the money myself selling, you know, different things on eBay and stuff like that. Like whatever we were passionate about as kids, she sort of, um, saw that creativity and, and that look in our eyes and just let us go with it. And that started even, you know, when I was 11 or 12, me and my friends in the neighborhood, we started our own little backyard baseball league. And all of our parents were sort of like that. They gave us the freedom and they, they were enablers, I guess, with what, whatever we wanted to do. And, you know, we ended up creating this league of like nine or 10 kids in the neighborhood that where every summer for three straight years, we showed up and we had a roster. We kept track of every stat from every game and we had a hall of fame and an all-star break and all that stuff. And so I think that that was just a trend that continued over time with my mom. And, you know, that, that led up all the way until me bringing her the crazy idea to move to the most expensive city in the U S and like, you know, just her just being like, okay with it was great. I hear autonomy, independence, um, fearlessness. Uh, and then the other word that just came to mind is actually entitlement. And, uh, in the book, uh, outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which I'm sure a lot of people have read, uh, he talks about entitlement and how we often think of entitlement as a bad word. Uh, it's often talked about with millennials as they're entitled. Um, but he talks about entitlement being a really important word. Like, no, yeah. Like I, I'm going to start this baseball league. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. who's going to stop us? We're going to make it happen. Yeah. I'm going to go work for Gary V and you know, I'm, I'm going to make that happen. And the entitlement mm -hmm. that, that comes with that or the entitlement to stick up for stand up for yourself or speak up for yourself. Um, so I hear that in, in what your mom passed down to you. All right. Mm -hmm. Take me back. Cause I sort of cut you off as you were talking about, you know, taking on this role as a blogger, uh, starting at Gary V. It sounds like those were happening around the same time. I think you had said it. You started with Gary V. a couple months into it. You get this opportunity to blog. Um, walk me through that, that time in your life because you had said you took that internship and it was a two-month opportunity, yeah. unpaid opportunity. So what's that like for you? You, uh, you get this apartment. You sublet an apartment. Um, I'm assuming you're, you're in debt or you're getting a little support from your mom to try to pay off that sublet rent. But walk me, take me to that time in your life where you're exploring and you're excited, but you're also broke as you're also broke. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, what's funny to take it back a little bit is I actually read the book outliers probably in that window of where I, I'm not sure when that book came out, but it probably was 2009, 2010 when I read it. And I, I recognized my big takeaway from that book was that, you know, a lot of things happen to people because of the circumstances or situations that they're in and it's out of their control. And so I sort of went into that internship opportunity, recognizing it almost immediately as something that, you know, this could be one of the three opportunities that come past, past me that I'll never have again. And, you know, I have to jump at the chance. And it's the kind of thing that you always hear about when you're growing up is that, you know, when you see opportunity, you got to recognize it. Otherwise it'll pass you by and that kind of thing. And I feel like that's what I did with it. I got that email back saying, listen, we'll keep your information on file. Unfortunately, we're not looking to hire anyone right now. We did, however, have two interns go back to school or something like that. And, um, and so we're willing to offer you an internship, but it would require you to relocate to New York and it's unpaid and all that good stuff. And so I immediately, you know, after getting the go ahead from my mom, I was just like, yes, let's do it. And I had a phone call um, with Matt Sidemer at VaynerMedia, and who was 
his title at the time was chief of staff, which I thought was funny. And, um, you know, next thing you know, a couple weeks later, I was driving to New York with my mom and I had a sublet apartment up in Harlem. She dropped me off. We grocery shopped and then she said, see you later and let me know how it's going. And, um, then I just had to find my way around Manhattan and VaynerMedia was, you know, well, I'll back it up a little bit. I was writing for make use of blogging. That was really for two reasons. One, because they were paying me like $600 a month and that was the only income I really had or the most substantial income at the time. And I really needed it. And, um, and two, I had started my social branding blog and I, I recognized because I'm so into like technology and hacking the internet and that kind of thing, I recognized how Google's page rank works. And I, I realized that make use of had something like 20 million viewers a month, um, unique viewers a month or something like that. And they were going to give me an author's byline on every article I wrote for them. And so in that author's byline, I obviously linked to my blog and because of how Google page rank work, page rank works, you know, make use of was like a seven on the 10 point scale or whatever it is. And because I had that many links coming back to my blog from a credible source that elevated my blog to being like a three or four without me having to do any other sort of SEO and all that other good stuff back then. And so I loved it. I was building my personal brand. I was writing, um, I ended up writing something like close to 200 articles for them over a two year period. Walk me, through, walk me through that process. Cause that's not a small amount of content. Uh, mm-hmm. were you always someone who liked to read and write? Um, and, and how did you find that process of just cranking out content? You're getting paid for it. So it's actually a job. Um, but you're also mm-hmm. realizing like the more I do this, the more I'm going to build my brand, uh, out there mm-hmm. as well. But walk me through how you set your mind to, to do that and to accomplish that. Yeah. It's funny because English was actually my least favorite subject in school and I hated writing and it just, that was just the way you communicated on the internet at the time. And so I was really into the subject matter and I realized that, wow, what, if I was able to write about the things I cared about, I was actually really into it. And so I can go back now and look at those early pieces and they're just filled with grammar errors and like maybe not filled with them, but it's definitely not my best work. And you know, the way they operated was they wanted to educate the world around everything having to do with technology. And so make use of was run with, um, I, they might've had 15 different writers and they were all around the world so that people could capitalize on different time zones and that kind of thing when it came to tech news. Um, but the way they operated was they had a wiki. And so when I, when I joined them, I got access to this back end of this wiki and that's where they had all the story ideas because they had a guy that he was like the SEO expert. And so he did SEO research around what are the keywords, what are the phrases, what are the technology things that people care about on the internet. And, and, um, they had a nice system where if I saw a topic that I wanted to write about, I would just initial my name next to it and cross it off like in the wiki. And then, um, everything can was you, run. Can you give work. me an example of that? Cause I think for not us non tech savvy people, like mm-hmm. give me an example of a theme that they would, they would sort of highlight and say, Hey, if you're interested in writing about this, this has the potential to gain popularity because Google says so. Is that, am I thinking about that the right way? Like, yeah, there's an yep. algorithm or it, there's, we've, we've found that these are themes that people like to click on. Um, so give me an example of like a story you wrote where you had this idea and then you had to check it off with, with the word. Yeah. So they started with, um, they definitely had like hierarchy of like big titles and big topics. And so like they would have like everything Mac related. And so under Mac, it would be examples of like, what are the five best running apps on iOS right now? Like what are, you know, all these other different things. I think I, I wrote an article about Facebook, 
they wanted a longer piece that was uh, explain the nuts and bolts of how Facebook works. And so I was fascinated by how Facebook worked and I was interested and so I researched it and I ended up writing a technical article about, you know, the the server side setup that, you know, went into Facebook and that kind of thing. And I probably got most of that information from Wikipedia and already forgot it. But, um, you know, I was, I was into the idea of having a lot of people see my content and so I wanted it to be good. And I think once I started at Vayner, probably the second half of my tenure at Make Use Of, I was definitely more rushed with it because it became a side project instead of the full-time thing. And so I was kind of just looking at it as extra income at that time. And I came to a point where I needed to make a decision of, you know, what is my career and what is my hobby and does my hobby affect my career in a negative way? And so I ended up um, basically right at the two-year mark is when I finished writing for Make Use Of. And I think I think the, I ended with a topic that I had started with originally two years prior, which was Twitter. And so I think the first thing I ever wrote about was explaining the usage of hashtags. Like it was that long ago that I had to explain the different tools that were out there that you could generate hashtags and track them and that kind of stuff. Um, and then what I wrote about right when I left, I think was, you know, my best tips for using Twitter to grow an audience and that kind of thing. And it's kind of funny thinking about it now because I'm in the personal branding space and marketing and, and you know, that manifested itself early on with the topics that I chose to write about in that space. And I feel like a lot of times I would approach make use of the editors and with an idea of like an emerging technology or something like that. And they would say, no, we're looking for more established technologies. And so I'm writing an article about Foursquare and they haven't heard of it and that kind of thing. And so I was just like, um, yeah, this isn't really for me anymore. I mean, I, I can research this stuff all day and that kind of stuff, but I'm starting to have less and less time to do it. And so, um, it was, it was interesting though. I found that I wrote mostly about social media stuff. So circle back to getting to Vayner and, uh, you're an intern and what that's like, it's a small office and I would assume there are big dreams, but I don't know. That's an assumption on my part. Um, Mm -hmm. what's it like? What's the culture like? Uh, what's the environment like? Uh, you mentioned earlier, a big part of outliers is, you know, the environment matters. And I think you Mm -hmm. sort of recognize right then and there, like, let me put myself in a great environment and let's see what happens. Um, Mm -hmm. tell me about that environment, that culture starting out. And, uh, for those that don't know, cause there are people that are listening to this that don't know about Gary V. Um, you know, I, I think when you, when, when I think of social media combined with motivation, um, he's probably the first person I think of. And, uh, he, he's, he's certainly outspoken. He's, uh, authentic and, um, he, he rubs people the wrong way because he doesn't mince words. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, he speaks out a passion and, and with emotion. And I think it resonates with most people, but it definitely rubs people the wrong way as well. And I'm sure you mm-hmm. saw that, uh, as uh, probably more so, definitely more so than I did, <laughs> but I'm just curious what it's like, uh, getting started there and, um, what is the thought of VaynerMedia then? Um, you know, from the little I know, he also is doing a lot of investing and I don't know what, what his brother's involvement is there. So just paint, mm-hmm. that, paint that picture for us, uh, what it's like and what that office is that you walk into as a, uh, you know, I guess 24-year-old, whatever, uh, coming up yep. there to be an intern. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's funny thinking back about this. Uh, so VaynerMedia, when it first started, it, it was formed in, I think, May of 2009. And so 
it was operational for a little over a year by the time I came around and I, I joined it as an intern, I think in September of 2010. And those early days, it was really Gary's brother, AJ, that was sort of running it. Gary was uh, in between book releases and he was doing his book tour around the world. And so it was my first couple months there. I was hired, I think, before I even got, I might've gotten to meet Gary once because he popped in the office. But other than that, I didn't officially sit down and meet the man until maybe maybe my first actual month of working after the two of interning. Um, but it was a very tight-knit family, uh, even then. I think the first handful of employees were AJ's you know, high school and college buddies. And so um, you know, they were very close. They had chemistry and all that sort of stuff. And they were very smart and talented, too. And so it wasn't like that he just hired his friends and they didn't belong in that industry. Um, I learned a lot right out of the get from from those guys. And so it was a very tight-knit, close family. And um, I think that that's the way they kept it and that's the way they continue to keep it until this, to this day. And that's something that Gary really believes in is building the culture. And um, you know that's first and foremost like the most important thing. And so I think what happened back then was you know, we sort of were working with a lot of a handful of different clients that Gary had brought in for being well known in the space. And, you know, we were already working with like the NHL and the New York Jets and the then New Jersey Nets and companies like that. And um, it was really great experience. I mean, and, as an and, and explain to people what, what sort of work you were doing mm-hmm. and what sort of work they were doing uh, back yeah. then. Yeah. So it was really it was social media from the get go. And they started as a social shop. Um, for big brands and you know social media was still relatively new remember and so you know we spent a lot of time educating big brands on the fact that they needed to have a Twitter account they needed to have a Facebook page and you know that was back when it was basically the land grab of you know brands spending millions of dollars just acquiring fans and page likes and you know that was before Facebook was pay to play as far as the advertising model goes and so we did a lot of community management and that sort of thing. We we set up pages for brands like the New Jersey Nets, and then we would have people like me jump on there and respond to fans who were commenting about how terrible the team was. I think they were coming off their record like worst season of all time, where they only won like six or twelve games, something like that. And you know, we taught them about the value of responding to even negative comments and that sort of thing, like especially those people who are unhappy. Um, and you know, we built case studies around that sort of stuff and we helped brands partner with emerging technologies. Like we were the first company to get a brand to partner with Instagram actually. And that was interesting. Like we believed in the idea of doing things early and being fast and first movers in the space can help elevate a brand to a position where, you know, they are seen as a thought leader in that space. And so we partnered with Brisk Ice Tea and at South by Southwest we had Instagram which was a hot new startup that had a couple million users at the time and we had them uh, brisk came out with custom cans that would print people's Instagram photos on it and so they would just have like patterned photos all over it and that kind of thing and you know I don't even remember how that campaign performed but years later when Instagram became Instagram you know you would see articles written and they would all mention that brisk was the first company to do that and so that's what we really believed in is that extended you know, narrative and reach that you can create just by doing those sort of things and bringing those opportunities to brands. Would you think about that as a short play or a long play? Uh, and when you're when you're talking to, to Brisk about it, it's like, is this short play like you're going to get attention for this now? Or is it the long play that you guys were the first adopters? 
I think I wasn't in a position to really be in those meetings to talk about like the strategy of it, but knowing Gary and AJ, they're always long-term thinkers. Like it's interesting, even fast forwarding to now, it's like when I had my meeting, you know, with Gary to let him know that I was leaving to pursue my own things, he was the most understanding person in the world about it because I know the way that he thinks and the way that he thinks is, you know, someday it's, it's okay for people to leave and go pursue their other things just because someday I could end up being a CEO of a very popular company or, you know, you know, fortune 500 or something like that. This is a very small space when you get to, when you get inside of it, as far as uh, social media and marketing is concerned. And he looks at it as he just wants to leave everyone better off than he found them. And some, somewhere down the line that'll benefit him. And, you know, maybe if, if that's in the form of me bringing him business and his company, um, or, me just as a thank you, like bringing some other opportunity to him, he realizes that by playing the long-term game with everything, that's how he's going to get to where he wants to be and where he wants to be is the owner of the New York Jets, as everyone knows. So, so like the way I hear it in the coaching world, we call that servant leadership. Um, you know, are you, are you serving the people below you and what mm -hmm. are you doing to serve them? And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people would look at his persona and not think of him that way. But if you really listen, there's a whole lot of servant leadership, like do right by people, build relationships, cultivate relationships, uh, put those relationships first. Don't mess up those relationships. And I, I, I am for my field right now, I get emails all the time from people that are interested in talking to me, grabbing a cup of coffee or talking on the phone. And it is amazing how often, um, I always say yes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always will, will serve those people because I think there's an obligation for me to do so. And it's what I love doing. Like, I love doing it. But it is interesting how often those people don't go out of their way to then serve back. And, you know, when, mm -hmm. when I say serve back, write a note. Just say, hey, thanks for taking the time to meet with me. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I appreciate it. Or even like when we're just leaving, like, hey, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. And I'm mm -hmm. going to go to another book, which is Give and Take by Adam Grant, which is another very popular book uh, where he talks about givers, takers, and matchers and mm -hmm. how givers tend to win out in the long run. And I think a part of me wants it to be matched. Like if I give, I, I, I would love for someone to give back. But I, I've come to the realization that if I serve people and, and I do good by them, it feels good to me in the short term and it mm -hmm. often helps me in the long term. And, you know, I think – that sort of Gary knows like this feels good that you're graduating from VaynerMedia and mm -hmm. going off to do whatever it is that you're going to do. Um, mm -hmm. But that there's also this, um, this potential long play that you might go on and be a CEO or be head of marketing or wherever. And uh, you're going to remember that he did right by you and it might help him down the road. And, and I think, mm -hmm. I think you can do both short-term and long-term plays. So um, that's mm -hmm. really interesting. I, I would love to get insight into your observation of him, and, and I don't know about AJ, so maybe give the observations of, of what AJ does for Vayner and, and how they operate together, but um, just give us some insight into how they set their minds and, and the things they do to set their minds to perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I learned from Gary especially was this whole idea of giving without any expectation of some getting something in return, and I think that is what plays into what you just said, which is that he does right by people and he tries to affect a lot of people over a long period of time and he just sees that as he's building equity in himself and his kindness and generosity and that sort of thing and 
you know, that's going to pay dividends later on down the line when he's, he's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. And so he, uh, I have no reason to believe that he's not going to get to his eventual goal of owning the jets one day. And, you know, he isn't naive in thinking that that's going to happen tomorrow. He is the kind of guy that talks about that happening 30 or 40 years from now, and he's in his forties. And so, you know, he's sort of moving the chess pieces around in his life and getting things done and, and doing the types of things that he knows he needs to do to get there. And it's, a, it's been really fascinating to sort of get an inside look at that over the period that I was there, you know, six and a half years of that. And I think um, AJ is somebody that isn't in the spotlight nearly as much, and he's okay with that. I think he's more of the introvert of the two um, by far, but he is everything that Gary is as far as an operator, in my opinion. Like he, he was the guy that was uh, like running the company for a while from my perspective. And, you know, even as Gary, you know, transitioned into the CEO role of it and, and AJ transitioned into the COO role of it, AJ always seemed to be the person that would take an idea of Gary's and he would be the person that would actually stand up to him and tell him that that's not a good idea or that's not a good direction for right now or something like that. And he sort of, I think they work together perfectly in that way that they would level set each other and that sort of thing. And AJ, um, somewhere along the line, left VaynerMedia and uh, concentrate on his health and well-being and his family, and which I really respect. And that's sort of what led my decision to to do what I did, which I'll get to um, as well. But you know, he he is now you know building Vayner Sports with Gary, which is a, a sports agency. And I don't really have any insight into what they're doing with that, but I know that it's has a high likelihood of succeeding just because of the people that are running it. And I think that even though AJ's a good 10 years younger than Gary, that it's really interesting that they have the sort of relationship that they do because it's, there's definitely a layer of father son mentality of like AJ, I feel like learns a lot from Gary and gets things passed down to him and that sort of thing. But they're best friends at the end of the day and they're brothers and they do everything together. And I've never seen them fight or argue over anything that wasn't like a spirited argument in the debate. But um, it was just really interesting to see those two guys build a company together because I know a lot of people in that same situation with their sibling would end up tearing each other apart. And, you know, there's a lot of negative ways that that can go, but they were very good at making business not personal and business is business. And I've just learned so much from them over, over the time that I, I've known them. It's, it's almost like going to business school and getting my MBA without actually doing it. So if, if Gary's dream is to own the Jets and that's the vision, what's your vision? So my vision is to leave an impact on the world. Um, it's, that is a lofty thing and it's broad and I think that's okay for now. I don't have a very specific thing like I want to own the Steelers uh, or anything like that. It's just my girlfriend Melissa and I, we're building this company together and right now it is um, you know, just a work in progress but we are trying to th- think long-term because long-term is the way that I want to think. And it's, it's what I'm good at thinking. And I think when you're able to think long-term and you say something in your mind, like I want to leave an impact on the world, I want to be involved in social good and, and that, that type of thing, you start to map your, um, activities and decisions and everything that you're doing now to sort of fit that goal. And so where we are right now is we started a company, it's called the ascent and it really, it, it started as a personal blog of mine. Like I worked at VaynerMedia for six and a half years. I um, 
the last six months of which I started in their new Vayner Talent division, which was working with personal brands. And I had spent all my previous time there working with global companies and Fortune 500 brands and logos. And so I, I relished the opportunity to really get in front of some individuals and work with people again. And um, that was really fascinating. It was it was the business model around that was really built around taking Gary's personal team that creates all of his content all over the place and selling that to other people who want to be like the top 1% in their industry, whether that's an athlete, a musician, a chef, whoever. And that's the kind of space I'm still in right now because I, I went into that and I was thinking, man, I really need to get back into my personal brand because I was really always interested in that. And so I started writing again. I created a blog called The Ascent and that was going to be meant to document my journey towards entrepreneurship or towards building a side hustle at the time. And um, I ended up creating it into a, a community on Medium and uh, I found myself quickly walk, curating. Walk, other... walk, walk people through what Medium is because I think a lot of people yeah. don't so media, know. Medium is a pl- yeah, Medium is a platform that um, is meant for blogging and it was created by uh, Ev Williams who is the co-founder of Twitter. And originally when it came out, it was called Medium because they wanted to fit in nicely between uh, the 140 character restricted restricted Twitter and the longer form blogging platforms that already existed like WordPress. And so the idea was that anyone could go to Medium and write something that was of medium length and then they could get their you know, thoughts out there without having to just you know, go on a Twitter storm or that kind of thing. And so it's become a really popular place where a lot of people are writing things of all lengths and sizes and calibers. And... Um, I was really fascinated with it early on because I've always been into emerging tech, as I've said a few times, like anytime a new app or anything like that, or Ev Williams or somebody does anything, I'm paying attention. And so um, I signed up with my Twitter account and then I just started blogging and I was just going to document my journey. And that was another big thing that I learned from Gary because he was big on this whole document versus create kick. And that's a message that he still talks about today. And it's really the fact that Everybody has a story. You can share it. Opportunities can come from it. And, you know, that's the thing that's unique to you is your story. And that's just been, that was the one thing that I heard from him that a switch went on in my mind. And I said, I'm, I have a full-time job. I'm happy, but why not take that at bat? Like everyone has the same at bat as far as putting content out there on a daily basis and growing an audience and seeing what happens over time. And I think VaynerMedia was big enough at that point that I've seen a lot of you know, 14, 15 year olds come in and they got famous on new apps like Musical.ly and and where they can make music videos, lip syncing and, and stuff like that. And on Instagram and you see these people and they don't even need to go to college because they're already making tons of money off of this stuff. And that's the day and age we live in now where one piece of content can change your life. It's It's like, you know, Justin Bieber starting out on YouTube and people like that. It's like you see it every day. And so being exposed to it at that level and seeing how Gary's brand took off over the years, I started to you know, document my own journey, and that's what I'm still doing to this day. And I think when I created my Medium page, it was meant to just be solely for my writing. Um, but what it quickly turned into as I was spending more time on Medium was I realized that a lot of people had interesting stories, and a lot of people were choosing to share them. And a lot of them had similarities of mine, and, you know, entrepreneurial spirited and starting their own business and that kind of thing. Um, and so I started reaching out to those people because medium had an option that they, they had rolled out where people could create their own publications essentially, like basically their own blog. And so I started reaching out to people on a daily basis, like 50 people here, hundred people there, 
love your love your story. I started a publication. Would love to feature your story. What do you think? And you know, one by one, I gained writers and got stories added and all that good stuff. And um, you know, before I left Vayner, I had it grown to twenty five thousand followers. Wow. And um, you know, that gave me a starting point when I moved out here in Denver, Colorado, which was, you know, I moved out here for my girlfriend. She uh, grew up in Colorado and she finally moved back. And uh, we were doing a long distance thing for a good six or eight months. And then um, my lease came up for renewal in New York. And I decided I didn't want to do the long distance thing for a whole nother year. And so I came out and visited for a month or for two weeks. And then um, I just fell in love with this place. Like Denver is a kind of place that reminds me a lot of Pittsburgh. And the only thing is that it, it is more outdoorsy and it has beautiful views and <laughs> all the fun stuff that you know, the Rocky mountains give you that Pittsburgh doesn't have. Um, and so I made a decision, I made the decision to sort of just finally leave Vayner and pursue my own business. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew I had this community of 25,000 people and I knew it was going to revolve around that. And so we got to work and I moved out here in April and, but but I want to find out. So like, once again, you're at a crossroads mm -hmm. and you have to make a decision and it might not, once again, if, if you, if you'd gone to, Somebody they would have told you no Vayner. How many how many people are working at Vayner now? Over seven hundred. And what? How many people were working there when you started? I think I was employee number ten when I was hired. Okay, so like, um, if you're seeking advice, and I'm sure you did this, like, I'm sure there were people that told you, dude, like, you're at this growing company. They are, they're starting Vayner Sports. They're doing X. They're doing Y. They're doing Z. Just stay, mm -hmm. like. There's amazing opportunities here and growth opportunities, and you can make an impact here. Why? Why, why go toward the ascent? Just got to follow your heart. I think the same feelings that I had when I first got that email in 2010, and I decided to follow my heart and move to New York City, even though it was a big scary thing at the time, is the same thing that hit me when I was faced with this, this decision. And it was a no-brainer in both cases. Like I immediately came across this and I, I remember thinking about it for all of 10 seconds before I was like, this is what I'm doing and how do I make this work? And I think that what it comes down to is you can't be scared to look back. And I think that that sort of uh, manifests itself in the fact that, um, you know, I had a good relationship. I had tons and tons of friends in New York at this time. I've met tons of people through Vayner. I had great clients. I had a great job, all that stuff. I, everything was clicking, but I wasn't happiest in where it counted most, which was, you know, I was in a long distance relationship. I missed my girlfriend and I really wanted to pursue that and take that to the next level. And I was willing to do whatever it took to do that. And what it took to do that was relocating. And, uh, you know, Vayner had a small contingency of people out in Colorado. And so I started investigating that and I, cause ideally I would have stayed with the company I love and, lived with the person that I loved at the same time and been able to do both. But, you know, Gary was very honest and open with me and telling me that, yes, they had some people out here, but they weren't really looking to expand it just yet. And they weren't sure what they really wanted it to be and that kind of stuff. And so, um, he said, you know, think about it, like make the right decision and come to me and I'll respect whatever you come with. And when I came back and I said, my decision is that I am going to go anyway. Um, you know, he was a good friend. He said that, I, my door's always open. You, my inbox is always open. Like he gave me his phone number and he's just like, 
if there's anything I can ever do for you, whether it's help you get a job out there, if, if you find yourself in a tough spot, or you know, if Vayner does it, end up expanding out there and you want to come back in some other capacity someday, like that's on the table. All these different things that you know, just really just proved to me that he cared about me as an individual. And he told me, like, hey, we'll always have Jets games. You know, whenever he's out here to watch the Jets, like, I expect an email from him or a text or something. So, um, you know, realizing that as someone who admired the guy and followed him since 2008 and absorbed a lot of his content over that time, one of the things that really stuck out in my head was something that he said a lot back then, which was, there's always time to get practical. And so I had always inherently wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so this opportunity was sitting here and it sort of forced my hand a little, but I'm so happy that I chose this route and I haven't looked back since. And, you know, if it didn't, if that weren't the case, or if I still end up failing, then there's always time to get practical. There's agencies out here. There's everyone who knows his name. You know, I now have a resume that's, you know, respectable enough that I can get in anywhere. And, um, that's not something I anticipate doing, but if I have to, that option's there. And I think the fact that you have options is different and, and enables you to sort of pursue these things. And because I'm not getting any younger. And so if I wait another 10 years to start my own business, like I might find out that I should have used that last 10 years to my benefit. It's interesting. Uh, this morning I was listening to a podcast. It's called the psychology podcast. And the guy who, who does it had on this woman who is like the leading expert in decision-making. And she created this whole model for decision-making and to really look at things objectively rather than subjectively. Mm-hmm. And he asked her, he said, well, what about deciding to marry somebody? And it's your girlfriend. So I'm not, I'm not putting the pressure on you right. yet. But, um, she said, you know, for marriage, marriage is an irrational decision. Um, you know, committing <clears throat> to someone for the rest of your life is not, it's not rational. It's, it's an irrational thing. And she said, so there are some decisions that should be based purely on emotion and purely based on what your heart or what your gut tells you. Um, so mm-hmm. she said, I feel really uncomfortable telling someone to d- be objective when it comes to love. And yeah. I know we're getting deep here, but that, that is sort of how you looked at this. And, you know, it didn't matter how objective you were going to look at it. You were going to say, I have this relationship that I really value and you can't tell me that something's going to make it more valuable than that a and then b i have this dream uh or this vision for myself that is entrepreneurial and it it may not be uh, an objective decision but it's completely subjective and there's nothing wrong with that and i think i think it's so valuable for us to learn is that when matters and um environment matters and the situation matters and to say like well i'm just gonna be fearless with my whole life would be a bad decision. To, to fear failure your whole life would also be a bad decision. And so to blend fearlessness when you need to be fearless and to blend fear of failure when you need to fear failure is really important. And so your story says, hey, I was very objective with how I was going about things. I understood what blogging could potentially do for me. You, in some ways, are very scientific and mathematical and you know, you're into sort of hacking the internet and really understanding, no, if I do this, then I'll get that. But when it Mm -hmm. comes to love or passion, um, those things are not A plus B equals C. And when Mm -hmm. it comes to an ascent, it's not a straight up ascent. Um, I'm sure you're finding it's got all kinds of windy roads. I know when we spoke for the first time, you were driving across the country. Um, You Mm -hmm. probably saw all different (laughs) landscapes in this country. And 
as I hear your story and your journey, there were times where it was very clear uh, on what to do. And, and those decisions were based, based on your gut. And I think there is a time to be very instinctual. And I think, look, in, in the sports world, we have this dynamic with analytics right now and data. And, you know, how much do you trust data and analytics and how much do you trust your gut? You know, what does Mike Tomlin decide to do on fourth and one? What does the data say versus what does his gut say? And to me, you just have to be a blender and you have to blend both. Because if you're just based on science and you have no faith, then you're in trouble. And if you mm -hmm. just base things on faith and you have no data, you're also in trouble. So the blending of the objective and the subjective is something that I am fascinated by. And your story is clearly a blend of both objective decisions and subjective decisions and instinct versus rationality. Uh, and I think that's it's super cool. Um, mm -hmm. So what I'd love for you to finish up is to be a little clearer on what you're doing with the ascent. What do your clients look like? Who are the people that you're trying to reach? And then also, how can people find you uh, on social media, which I, I know there are places they can <laughs> find you. Um, yeah. and, and I'm just going to give you an open floor and an open platform to promote anything that you you find interesting or, or, or worthwhile to promote. Yeah, sure. So where we're at now with The Ascent is we want to do – so Melissa and I are on this journey together, and I think that's part of the the beauty in it is that – we sort of have the same vision and same dream. And it, it originally was to take this community of 25,000 people, all of whom are documenting their journey via the written word and giving in sort of just growing that community and building that out and offering them premium features and that sort of thing. And what that sort of turned into was us starting a personal brand consulting company. And that's something that I had a lot of experience with at Vayner and it's where my strengths and my passions lie and that's where they intersect. And that's also where anybody from that community or anyone else in your audience could also get involved. And it's really built on the belief that, like I said, everyone has a story and your story can create new business opportunities for you. And so whether that's helping you sell more books or book more speaking gigs or launch your own company or whatever it is, um, the fact that you can tell your story on these different platforms in different ways and get that message out there and inspire people and grow an audience is what can bring those opportunities to your door. And so, um, you know, what we're doing right now is we're launching a new website and our, our current website exists at theascent.biz, which you can still find. And that used to be the URL for our medium publication, but we shifted that to theascent.pub. And so the medium publication really is just linked on our site as the blog and that's the community that you can be a part of. And so anyone can write for us as long as you're telling your story and about your journey and that kind of thing you know, we're happy to give you that exposure of like, now we're up to 35,000 followers there. And, um, you know, so a lot of people have taken us up on that and written for us and gotten their message out there and started growing an audience that way. And so now we're trying to offer personal brands and the people who understand what being their own PR agent and that kind of thing can do for them. We're starting to offer them other tools and other means. And so I want to take everything that I've learned from working with big brands over the years and all the strategy and all the things that went into that and I want to work with people who want to start a podcast, who want to start a vlog, who want to start a blog and, and grow a community. Anyone who, you know, has something to offer in, as far as their own story and wants to get that message out there in different ways. And so what that looks like now is, you know, our new website that we're launching. Um, we're trying to work with people, everyone from CEOs and entrepreneurs, um, people just starting out like myself, to athletes. Uh, I have a client who is a former professional athlete and um, you know 
musicians, celebrities, anybody like that, anyone who has an aspiration and has a means to tell a story. And the, what that looks like is you work with us and we'll help you out with everything from start to finish, the strategy, the creative, the distribution and the growth. And I think the distribution and the growth is what a lot of people don't have figured out. I know a lot of people who have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or something like that, but then they're trying to break into the podcast world or into the vlogging world or YouTube and they're struggling and you can, there's definitely crossover with getting your audience to different places, but we want to show them how their whole social ecosystem can sort of drive their business goals forward. And so if their ultimate goal is selling more books or booking more speaking gigs, then where do their talents and strengths lie and you know, what are the platforms that are right for them and then how should they be distributing their messages out there? Because the message is the thing that makes people unique and everyone has a different one. Yeah, one of the things I was, I was going to ask, I'm going to cut you off because now I have, mm-hmm. I have a bunch of other questions. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, we're going to wind down and you're going <laughs> to, nope, we're, we're going to jump back into it. Um, so I understand that everyone's got a story to tell, but mm-hmm. where does competence come in? Where does like, you know, to me, like I've heard people speak that have a cool story, but mm-hmm. then that's it. And there's no added value or there's no like one of the things I try to do with this podcast is like, okay, you can have people tell their story, but like I want to talk to experts that are really intentional with how they're going about their careers and their performance. Mm -hmm. And so like what if someone has a great story, but they don't have any skills or developed any competencies to um, impact does that make sense? Does that question make sense? It does. I think what it comes down to is you need to have talent of some kind to succeed. And I think that you can succeed without it in certain circumstances, but you need to gravitate towards what you're strong at, at least, even if you're not super talented in anything in this space. You know, generally what we focus on is written word versus audio versus video. And there are some people that are talented and can do all three. And then there are certain people who maybe are just way better writers than they are speakers. Um, or, you know, they hate seeing themselves on camera. And I've seen a lot of people that have succeeded in all these different spaces. Uh, there's a guy that I spoke to recently named Nicholas Cole, who basically grew his brand solely by writing. And he did it solely through writing on Quora, which is a platform that's basically Q&A that was uh, created by one of Facebook's co-founders. And through that platform, he wrote, you know, hundreds of different basically articles over the last handful of years and he's gotten his content picked up by Forbes and Inc and entrepreneur and all these different places and he's grown a huge brand around it and when I talked to him he was talking about you know what are the things I need to do to expand this into other areas now because I'm interested and he's really well spoken on the phone and so uh, a lot of the things that go into it are what are you interested in and can you get good at this if you're not already and so I think that the focusing on what they're you know who the person is as an individual is kind of our starting point and if they're not talented at something, then, you know, it's not going to go very far. But if it's something that they can get good at, like I, you know, learned to love writing because I started writing about the things I was passionate about, um, you know, I got very good at it over the years. Like I, I went from hating English in school to being a senior copywriter at VaynerMedia. And, you know, I write stuff every day now to this day. And I think that people just aren't starting because they're scared. And I think that a lot of people can afford to start because, you can do it as a side hustle. 
uh, like I did. I think in starting my blog, for instance, I just stayed after hours at work, you know, until 8 a.m. every night and just wrote an article a night. And I did that for a while. And, you know, the first ones weren't resonating with people and they weren't that great. And, you know, you learn things over time and you learn by repetition. And so I think it is kind of a long term play which is why, um, you know, what we'll work with with a lot of people is the strategy piece. And we have them invested in, you know, where do they need to be spending their time? What do they need to be doing day in and day out? And then over a long period of time, what will that net them? And, you know, you got to go into it realizing that you can have all the opportunities coming your way in the world or, you know, at the very least, you'll just have practice coming out of it. And I think that, um, it's a form of investing in yourself in that way. Yeah. I think one of the things I struggle with is like my business is my brand. And, uh, so like recently I had, had someone say like, Oh, you gotta be on Instagram. Like that's mm-hmm. like a place that I, w- I, w- I only joined Instagram so I could post pictures of my kids when they were born. So like, mm-hmm. if you look at when I joined Instagram, it was exactly, uh, two years ago when my son was born. And, um, so I think one of the things I struggle with, and I'm sure others have talked to you about this is like, if I'm going to be a documenter, like you said, mm-hmm. what if I want to be a mix of Gary and AJ? So like, what if I know that for my business, I need to have a little Gary in me and mm-hmm. be fearless enough to put some stuff out there and document. But what if I also want to be home for dinner at 630 every night and I don't need to post a picture on Instagram of my family eating dinner um, because mm-hmm. that's our space and you know, let's create that space. So I think, mm-hmm. I think one of the things people struggle with now is like, okay, like I know it's valuable for me to document, but where do I draw that line and where do I, um, where do I still have my sanity and my privacy and the things that I value most in this world and I cherish. And like, I think when Twitter first started out, I think the, uh, the assumption, uh, which I don't think is right. And I don't, I certainly don't use it this way. It was like, Oh, let's go watch Shaq eat a cheeseburger at in and out burger. And right. like that was what people thought Twitter was. And I think it's changed a lot. And I really value Twitter. That's where I find uh, myself most comfortable um, mm-hmm. expressing my thoughts. But yeah, like how do you help someone who's who struggles with like, all right, what am I documenting? How am I documenting? I don't like talking about myself that much. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you help them in, in that in that space? Yeah, I think when it comes to personal life versus business. I think that the beauty of it is the fact that you get to draw that line and decide where it is. And even a guy like Gary, who you literally can't go on the internet without finding him somewhere, he is very private when it comes to his personal life. And that's just something he worked out with him and his wife. And, um, you know, you can't even find a picture of his kids online, for instance. And that's by design. And everyone, no matter how public you are, you get to make that decision. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a great starting point. And the beauty about documenting, and it's something that I only really learned recently through practice, was that you can document anything that you want. Like anything can be content. And what that means for me is experiment with what you're trying to do for your brand. Like for instance, I want to grow an audience by writing on Medium every day and on Quora and LinkedIn and places like that. And so I just need to be better about tracking what I'm actually doing because I can, at the end of 30 days, if I try to write an article for 30 days, for instance, I get to make a piece of content that says, I wrote an article for 30 straight days. Here's everything I learned. And that's what I mean by documenting versus me sitting around and brainstorming of like, what's the next hit 
like series of articles that I can start coming up with and then I'll do the research and it'll tre- I'll treat it like a paper or something I was doing in school. Instead, I'm actually just living my life and doing the things the way I'm intending to and trying to get better each day and I'm documenting what's actually happening and I'm being willing to share you know, those results, whether they're positive or negative. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. Um, Instagram is, I was just gonna say, it's interesting because that goes back to your start where mm-hmm. you're blogging and they're telling you blog about this stuff because it's going to get us traction versus mm-hmm. then you're at Vayner where it's like, we believe in X, Y, and Z and we know there can be a return on investment or we know that we're going to be at the frontier and this is going to help you in the long play. And it's just interesting that you've sort of taken those experiences and mesh them to, and molded them to create your own business that speaks mm-hmm. to the things that, that have, have spoken to you. Um, and then yeah. the, the other thing I'll just say is like, and then what you just hit on is exactly what this podcast is all about, which is like, you be an intentional documenter. Don't just document. Yep. Like it doesn't, you don't need to just walk around with a selfie stick and, you know, show the world what you're doing every minute of every day. In fact, mm-hmm. that's not quality content. It's just, it's just crap. But yeah. if you're intentional with, Hey, like I'm going to share this because it's an amazing experience for me. That's the whole idea of this podcast, which is I'm doing this because I love talking to people like you who are being mm-hmm. intentional about what they're doing. And in a way, what you're trying to do is help others be more intentional about what they're documenting and purposeful with what they're documenting so that mm-hmm. it can help them develop and allow them to do what it is that they want to do career wise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that people don't realize is that when it comes to their personal brand, they're the CEO. Like they're nothing gets done without their say so, you know? And what that looks like for me, for instance, is I started my own vlog when I first moved out here. Actually, I started it at Vayner and I really ramped it up when I moved out here. But um, I didn't know how I was going to be on camera. It terrified me. It I was never really, really good at public speaking and that kind of thing. But I found that over the years at Vayner of being in meetings and being on calls with clients and, you know, high pressure situations and that kind of thing, I, I tend, I, I got used to it over time and, um, it was, it still wasn't something that I was super jazzed about, but I realized that I didn't want to build a brand for myself that was just around the written word. And I wanted to put my likeness and my face out there as well. And so I made the investment and I bought a camera, um, for like 600 bucks and, I was like, you know, if everything goes well with my personal brand, this will pay for itself over time. And so those first handful of times putting the camera on myself, I could find myself like really nervous, even though I'm by myself, like you would looking into a camera lens is almost like being at a podium and talking to a room of a hundred people. And what happened was the first, if I go back today and look at those first few episodes, they're not the best, but they're the best cuts that I had of what I recorded at the time. And I was happy with them at the time. And now when I look back, my expectations have changed. Like I've done it enough now that I've gone from spending hours doing it to um, right after this, I'm actually going to go outside and I'm going to spend 15 minutes and I'm going to record something. And I'm, I've gotten good to where I can do most of it in one or two takes. And then that cuts down on editing time and I'm just getting better across the board. And it's just being intentional about what I'm trying to do for my brand. And the moment that I realized that or the moment that I think that doing that and creating that video every day or every week isn't benefiting me in the long run is the moment that I stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people look at social media today as just a, diff- a bunch of different places to distribute a bunch of different messages. And you can get worn down really quickly if you're focusing on being everywhere just for the sake of being everywhere. And you know what it comes down to is, yeah, on Instagram, that's worse than anywhere else as far as 
people will post a piece of content and they'll delete it if it doesn't get so many hearts in like a certain amount of time and stuff like that. Like there's so many different games people are playing with, you know, what is good and what isn't good content that people are just aren't starting and creating their, you know, creating their content and putting their stories out there in interesting ways. And the truth is, is every platform, you can get famous on any platform. I know people who are Instagram famous and they're not famous anywhere else. I know people who are YouTubers and I know people, you know, from all different walks of life doing different things. And what it really comes down to is there's an audience on every platform potentially for you. It's which platforms do you want to be on and which ones can you tell your story in the most unique, interesting ways where you can see the biggest benefits. And so that's what we're, that's what we're about. It's, it starts with teaching people that they're the CEO of their own brand, um, reverse engineering them as a human being of like, what are they good at? What are they interested in? And what could they see themselves doing every day? Because if they can't be passionate enough or see themselves doing something every day, then it's not going to work. If we come back to them with a strategy of write an article every day for six months and the person hates writing or isn't good at it. It's, I would much rather, you know, tailor something to somebody who wants to do it, but isn't good at it than somebody who, um, you know, just, just hates that platform and, you know, I'd be forcing them to go there. And so it's really just teaching them. These are all the platforms. They all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses and setbacks, but what are like, how much time do you have to dedicate towards this? Like how passionate are you about it? And how do you want to be telling your message and what is your message and what is your ultimate goal? And then I try to help them see really long-term and see themselves getting that goal and everything it's going to take to get there. Um, and then putting a plan together that's built for them. And so I think in the way that it's, I love that it's called personal branding because it's super personal and everything's custom for everybody. And that enables me to talk about the things I'm passionate about, which is the different tips, tricks and hacks in the space and all that good stuff. Just because, um, you know, I know that people can copy that and take it and run with it, but every brand is different. And so there's no like intellectual property that I'm holding on to and not giving, giving people in, in my content. Awesome. All right. Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're in those places, even though we yep. just talked about, you know, different places, different strokes for different folks. Um, where can we find you? And, uh, why don't you take us home? Like what are, what are the other things that, that you want to share with, with the world? Yep. So the easiest place to find me is on Twitter and you can find me at Steve underscore Campbell. Um, I'm on, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at slash I am Steve Campbell. Um, and if you'd like to check out our business and what we've been up to, you can find us at theascent.biz. Awesome. And we'll put all those in the show notes. Um, but Steve, it's good to talk to you a little while back. I'll just give a quick anecdote uh, from our conversation. So we spoke for a while uh, and then Steve was supposed to follow up with me and he dropped the ball. And he he even, I think, tweeted out something saying that he had dropped the ball on following up with a lot of different people that he had spoken to. But then yep. he sent another email and just said, hey, I dropped the ball. Would love to reconnect with you. Find out what you're up to. Find out how I might be able to help you. And to me, that vulnerability and taking ownership over the dropping of the ball is is massive. And I think a lot of people would just hide in the corner and just say, oh, I screwed up or be self-deprecating or um, beat themselves up. But I thought you showed a lot of fearlessness and saying like, no, I own it. I screwed up. Let's 
let's get back on this horse and, and, and get going again. And, you know, in sports, they call it next play. Like you turn the ball over in basketball, yep. move on to the next play. Um, you know, if Ben Roethlisberger throws an interception, he's got to get back on the field and make the next play. Um, and so I give you a whole lot of credit for moving on to the next play uh, and, and coming and taking action and, and following through uh, and, and owning it. And I think that's, that's just massive. Uh, it says a lot about you and your character and, and the things that you care about. So I wanted to thank you for that. Uh, and I just want to thank you for your time. You just gave us a lot of your time. Uh, this is an industry that I really don't know a lot about. I'm finding out more and more about every day because I think it's important and I think it's valuable. And I know our listeners, we haven't really had someone on the podcast talk about this sort of stuff. Um, so it's it's helpful for them. And, and I really believe it'll be helpful for them. And it's clear that you look at branding in an intentional way and, and think about it in an intentional way. And clearly you're living your life in an intentional way as well. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and I look forward to talking with you uh, more and, and exploring what you're doing and, and seeing how you might be able to help me out and how I can help you out. And hopefully we can continue this relationship uh, over video, um, which sounds a little creepy, but uh, <laughs> or, or in person one day as well. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. And that it meant so much getting your email reply. I got to say after I did realize that I screw up, screwed up and, yeah, I mean, that's just who I am. Like, I'm a caring person, and I take it upon myself. Like, I, I care what people think about me to an extent. And so I don't want to let a potential relationship, especially a business one, go by, um, you know, just because I didn't send an email. And so I think being willing to sort of reach out and admit that you failed or, you know, made a mistake or something, just come clean with people. Don't make up excuses and that other kind of stuff. That's what I've found in my life is that people tend to respond more favorably if you're just honest with them. And so I really appreciated getting that reply. And it was so positive just saying like, no big deal. Like would love to have you on the podcast and that kind of stuff. And, and I'm looking forward to, you know, growing this relationship and doing more content stuff with you. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. What it comes down to is you can't be scared to look back. And I think that that sort of, uh, manifest itself in the fact that, um, you know, I had a good relationship. I had tons and tons of friends in New York at this time. I've met tons of people through Vayner. I had great clients. I had a great job, all that stuff. I, everything was clicking, but I wasn't happiest in where it counted most, which was, you know, I was in a long distance relationship. I missed my girlfriend and I really wanted to pursue that and take that to the next level. And I was willing to do whatever it took to do that.